Hello, my name is Christine Deeson, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Kirsten Malenko, an Australian composer and conductor based in Paris. Her music embodies acoustic and electronic settings of an immersive and beautifully strange nature grounded on spectral portraits. Her work as a conductor began as an extension of composition, evolving to reform the relations of imaginary to concrete realizations of musical gesture across a diverse repertoire. She completed her composition studies at the Royal Danish Academy of Music and the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, where she received the 2016 Ignaz Friedman Memorial Prize for Excellence in Composition. She is currently studying the 2022 to 2023 Cursus program at IRCOM. In 2019, she was awarded the Roche Young Commission by Artistic Director of the Lucerne Festival Wolfgang Riem. In 2020, her debut opera and dance theater piece, Dalloway, premiered at Pulsar Festival in Copenhagen. She was a participant of the 2020 to 2021 Words and Music Workshop with the Opera Orchestre National de Montpellier, led by Ted Hoffman and Sivan Eldar, and attended the Academy du Festival d'Aix with Andrea Breath in 2021. She is also an orchestrator recently commissioned to work on projects such as a series of orchestral remixes of electronic pieces by Sos Gunver Ryberg for the Aarhus Symphony Orchestra and Wagner's Townhauser Overture for Miss Morim Festival for 2023. Thank you, Kirsten, for joining us today. Hello. Thanks for having me. So you have such a rich background. There's so much. I love it. What I'm curious about is to learn more about what led you on this path uh, within composition. Yeah, so composition, it was a bit of a weird um, relationship. It was kind of a field that fit me rather than me trying to fit into it. So when I graduated high school, I had the like usual identity crisis that everyone at that age has of like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, what what next? Um, and I started doing international relations where you study international law and language and a whole lot of different things. And I think I got three weeks in and I just started playing music all the time, <laughs> like all the time. I wasn't studying or doing anything productive beyond music. So I decided to audition to then like split my degree into arts and music and do piano. And I did, I think in total three years of that. And the more piano repertoire I was learning the more I was wanting to improvise. And eventually that improvisation became little scribbles and those little scribbles became like drafts and they eventually started to become pieces. And yeah, I, actually a similar process happened from my instrumental work to electronic. It was just this like discovery kind of step by step. And through that discovery, I realized I needed more training and I ended up shifting schools from, I started out at the University of New South Wales, went to the Sydney Conservatorium of Music and like restarted my studies, which I think gave everyone in my life a bit of a heart attack, just throwing three years of tertiary education away. Um, not away, but in terms of the like degree away. And I stayed at the Sydney Conservatorium for three years, went to Denmark on exchange, loved it there, decided to stay, did my master's in Copenhagen and Yeah, I kind of just dove headfirst into the world of composition, did as many academies as I could, wrote for as many ensembles as I could. I found where my limits were as well, uh, which is something that we don't talk enough about with composers is actually like when 
when you need to rein it in and really just do one thing at a time. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of been a process of trial and error, but one that has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's really great. You know, you were experimenting with different things, you know, not saying that the three years that you had before you decided to really dedicate yourself to music was, mm-hmm. was wasted because without those three years, you wouldn't have been able to to find that path, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think they were really formative, especially for composers. I think it's important to do something else before composition. Like, I mean, whether you do a bachelor's degree and then you have a bit of a break and you just do something really intensely or whether you take that time before your studies, it's... um. Yeah, it's important to have a bit of a think about kind of what you want in the world and what you're capable of giving the world at the same time. Yes. And, you know, it's a it's also one of those things, too, you know, this idea of exploration and being able to take the time, as you had mentioned, you know, to really get to that point where you can't see yourself doing anything else. Right. Mm. And so that's something that's really um, that's really interesting. A lot of time I've always found you know, young people um, or younger people, because we're still very young. We're right? still young. We're still young. Um, <laughs> we're you forever know, young. <laughs> forever young. But like, you know, the fact that we're so worried, we, you know, we have this identity crisis that you talked about before, you know, being able to say, okay, the decision I'm going to make is to define who I am forever, right? It's crazy, um, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's it's really all all about the journey and you know type of thing. So, uh, in regards to like the things that you do at Earcom, uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on the different projects and uh, things that you're doing? Oh gosh, we have a lot. The project projects that we do at Earcom are very intense. Like our days, it's kind of like the hours of a normal working job. You have like. It's like a nine to five situation, but then on top of that, you have to revise everything as you're going along and do projects and all of that, which is like for academic settings, it's not so normal to have <laughs> so much intensive like time where you're active in a like a lab or a classroom or something. Um, so the course covers like a whole lot of different aspects. We do some work with poetry, dance, where we use motion sensors. Um, we're doing an improvisation workshop in about a week, less than a week, which is exciting to be preparing for. Um, we've done, we, our first project was setting a film to music and yeah, it's kind of ways to explore all of the like different technologies at our fingertips, because one of the blessings about Yechkam is that anything is possible, but that's also, that's kind of crazy at the same time because you're in this place for one year and anything is possible. So like, what on earth do you do with yourself in that time? So it's, the lessons are really focused on exploring like different programs, different ways of working with them, everything from Max MSP to Ableton Live to like Reaper to just like really everything. And yeah, those projects are a way of just putting that into practice. And then at the end, we have a major project and mine is with a singer. Um, a soprano called Beatrice who's based in Paris and it's like a, a doorway of what I hope will be more work with more like chamber settings of opera and yeah it's not an opera because that would be a bit indulgent to put on an opera in like a festival setting <laughs> it's just a small um, a small piece but yeah that's kind of that's my summary of what we do at Yocum that's I did my best <laughs> No, this is no, this is really great uh, for our listeners to know. You know the the fact that you know Earcom offers the possibilities. You know the endless mm-hmm. possibilities that you I don't think you would find really in 
a lot of places, you know, being able to experiment, to try new things, see things that work, maybe something might explode. I don't know, you know, a type of thing. It does happen sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it's one of those things that, you know, you don't have your fear to, to be able to try new things. And I think that's, I think that's really, really awesome. Now, in regards to, you know, the work that you've done uh, for composition, I know uh, you've done a lot of different things. Uh, Could you elaborate more on, you know, your ideas, like, you know, the idea of how you approach composition and how, you know, it connects to you uh, personally? Yeah, it's a big question. I think in general, when you start studying composition, you have to sort of have like you have to really think about yourself as an artist and what, I don't know, like you as a person as much as anything else. Um, and everyone's approach to music, of course, is very different from being a performer to a composer. And yeah, I mean, I'm at a point now where I really approach my pieces as little sculptures and like in each section of that sculpture, if it's like a big piece, like a big orchestral piece, that sculpture has many different angles and like the light will move over it in different ways. And I always think of that metaphor of like, taking a brick and then chiseling it down to find the end result of this thing you're working on. The the times, like when I was first starting out in academies and really like trying to find my feet as a composer, I was very much thinking of like a creation process, like always trying to put myself into my music rather than like taking myself out of it in a way. It sounds a bit like academic and strange, but <laughs> it's, yeah, I, th- I think this process of removing rather than adding is something that took me a really long time to realize but that's sort of that's kind of the best way I can explain my approach to it now <laughs> no and I think this is really great um you know because sometimes you know when we approach composition I know when I was younger <laughs> I tried to compose things and I always never felt like anything I did was good so it would just always be crumpling the paper and throwing it away right and so I I admire that you know uh being able to have that type of patience to go through the process because it is quite a process right yeah and I mean just as an instrumentalist needs to develop a practice routine that works for them the kind of repertoire they're working on I mean also singers for example sometimes someone wants to be this big bel canto voice and they realize that actually baroque is their niche or maybe they're this huge wagnerian soprano like they have to discover what is like what is their pathway composers have to do that as well like we need to really find a rhythm and a routine and a way of like finding our way through pre-existing repertoire finding relevant things like if we want to create a certain sound has that been done before <laughs> And if so, like, how can we stand on the shoulders of that rather than blindly trying to like forge a path? Because that gets a little egocentric. So to be able to navigate that and find your own pathway and develop yourself as a composer at the same time. Yeah, that takes time. (laughs) It takes a lot of time and energy. (laughs) But at the same time, it's it's passion too, right? If yeah. you're if you're motivated and if you're passionate about it, the the energy that you exert into something makes it really meaningful. Yeah, of course. It's still hard though. Like it's still it's still also a job. <laughs> but yes, the passion's really important. Yeah. No, actually, you know, it's uh you mentioned, you know, it's still it's still work, you know, like type of thing. And I, I agree. Not just, you know, in regards to the labor of love, I guess you could say, that mm. one puts into something that you you know you care about deeply. 
but also too in regards to you know i mean you're you're very successful you know a composer you know in doing all of these things independently with all of these you know types of commissions that come your way uh so could you talk a little bit more about you know what led you to this path i mean it's a bit entrepreneurial no yeah it is i don't think of it like that very often but it is quite entrepreneurial it's funny like I think often when we talk about business minds or entrepreneurship in music, this like the backs go up of everyone in the room, you know, like no one wants to talk about it. They're like, no, 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 you'll ruin it. Like you'll break music if you talk about money or anything like that. There's this attitude that it's just going to like, we'll shatter the illusion. And I think that's really damaging. Like, I mean, one of the great things about being in Scandinavia is just the, the group of people I was spending time with who were very open about every single aspect of the industry. Like, from the way we were formatting our scores to what we thought a fair rate was for commissions to like really everything. And I loved this because what it meant is that you ended up having colleagues in not just an artistic communal sense, but in a way that like you kind of developed a workplace at the same time. And that's, um, that's pretty rare for composers. It's something that I'm really grateful for, for that time and all those people in my life. And yeah, but that entrepreneurial side of things, that's, um, I think that's why like when you're developing your voice as a composer, it's it's really important to think of like the kind of music you want to write and what makes sense to you and still be very open-minded during your training, which the training obviously extends for like decades <laughs> as a composer. It's just, it never ends. Um, but yeah, to really just be, I don't know, conscious of the fact that you are different from your work in a way, like you are your workplace. And if you go and work on a residency or something with an orchestra, which it's really cool when people get the chance to do that. That's like a moment where you get to step into a more collective setting. But at the end of the day, you're always this entrepreneurial like soul. <laughs> you have to be very aware of that. And yeah, that's, that's kind of tough sometimes, but it's kind of fun as well. <laughs> One of the things that you had mentioned was the idea of when we talk about money and music, it's like, oh, money broke music, right? You know, but the thing is, I mean, it is a lot of work. It is dedication. It is an art. You know, uh, it is also it can also be a service that we provide, right? You know, for example, um, being given a commission and saying, can you please write X, Y, Z for me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes hours. It takes time. Um, it takes thought uh, to, to create an idea based on, you know, what is given to you, like within whatever parameters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much, very much. And so it's one of those things that, you know, when we think about, you know, this entrepreneurial mindset, uh, a lot of the time people sometimes forget, you know, Yes, it's beautiful to make art, but if you want to be making just art for your life, you have to find a way to uh, share it with people in a way that they could connect with it and see the value in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. I don't know where to take that thought, but I agree with you. Hey, no, it's, no, it's great. No, I mean, but at the same time, you know, it goes, and that's the thing, you know, being in those uh, collectives that you mentioned, you know, the idea of being around colleagues that uh, share similar values. Now, now, when you were studying and as you continue your studies and, you know, really 
you know, gaining your feet, right, uh, or your grounding in regards to the work that you do, you know, not only as a composer, but also as an orchestrator. How have you found that, you know, um, you know, in regards to being, you know, doing these commissions, you know, working directly with these different ensembles? Do you mean like how have I balanced my time or how have I kind of built up the work? Uh, both, both uh, balancing time, uh, being able to build that momentum. I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I mean, orchestration is something that I've always found like quite natural in a way. I've I've understood it a lot. I've always struggled actually with theory <laughs> and harmony and things, which I hate to admit, but it's something that if it's not like Palestrina kind of theory, if it's more like Bach harmony, it's it's really rough for me. So that, that's something I've always found really difficult. But orchestration, on the other hand, has been really, I mean, obviously it takes effort, but it's come very naturally. And it's something I've always really loved. Um, also, that like the approaches I take to my compositions are very, like they often start with orchestrations and then work backwards from there to become like motifs and whatever, <laughs> like whatever actually comprises the piece. So the orchestration work, I mean, in Denmark, you kind of have your main study, which is composition or conducting or whatever it is. And for composers in the master's degree, you effectively have two like supporting subjects. And one of mine was orchestration. So I spent two years of my master's having like one-on-one lessons about orchestration and studying the works of different musicians and like how to orchestrate in different settings aside like not just piano to orchestra but like taking a percussion quintet and turning it into a string quartet or taking an orchestral piece and turning it into a wind trio or something like that so yeah that flexibility was kind of in my mind through I mean through a lot of effort but also because it felt like a comfortable place for me to be in and I've been quite fortunate with my orchestration work because I I haven't had to like search in the same way that I have in the early days of my like commissions. I haven't had to like push through doors in the same way. Like I really think with my early composition commission application days, it was like nine out of 10 would be pushed back, <laughs> which is just, I think it's quite normal for composers. And then, you know, that rate changes as you go on. Um but orchestration, I've I've haven't had to do that, which I feel really fortunate for. I've I've been able to just go like directly into work, which I've really loved, and they have been settings that I, I've just really enjoyed. Like they've been a bit abnormal and cool, and yeah, it's been really fun. I was a bit rambly. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's no, it's great. You know, I, just because of the fact that you know, uh, with also taking orchestration. Uh, you know, this idea of being able to take a piece of music that already exists mm-hmm. and being able to create a setting, not saying it's disturbing the piece, right? <laughs> right. But being able to create a setting where a different, you know, a group of musicians would be able to enjoy uh, performing this work that otherwise wouldn't be available to them within that uh, original instrumentation. Yeah, exactly. And there's a huge history of that. I mean, even like performing an aria with a piano rather than a full orchestra and an opera setting like that, that in a way is performing an arrangement. And it's something that's so natural in a lot of parts of our industry that we kind of forget that it's even like a thing. (laughs) We forget that someone has arranged that entire orchestral score for piano or for like, you know, two people on piano or maybe a string quartet or something. Um, I mean, the coolest project I've done so far, well, the most like the least traditional, I guess I could say, was this orchestral like remixing, reimagining of electronic works by Soskunver Ruberg. And that was really cool. Like I was basically just given these tracks and said, like, here is your orchestra, <laughs> do what you gotta do. 
And it was really nice because I got to use these very like contemporary techniques and this tapestry of sounds that is available to us in contemporary music for a more techno setting. And I hate to pigeonhole her music because it's her music is a lot of things. Techno is one of them. And yeah, it was so much fun. I just loved like reestablishing the tapestry that she had made with a completely different set of tools and yeah, kind of almost like that pro- approach of composing, like peeling it back until it gets the gets to that point where it feels authentic and complete in some way. It's very fun. And in some ways it feels new, right? Yeah, very much. Yeah. You know, in, in regards to that type of experience. So uh, in your experience, I mean, with in regards to, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you really have to push, you know, sometimes early on in one's career. Mm-hmm. If you really want to, like, you know, make your own pathway. Uh, how how were you able to, you know, early on, uh, you know, say, okay, well, I guess this didn't work. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. How how did that shape you uh, in regards to who you are today? Hmm. I think it had a positive and negative effect. So being a composer from Australia, you just have this constant fear of missing out. Like there's always this thing that the grass is greener somewhere else. So you need to apply to everything to maybe get this tiny little piece of something. And like, that's kind of your attitude at the beginning. Uh, So I really, I really just like applied to all these things. Even if I wasn't qualified enough, I would just apply to them. And that was really great at the beginning. I got some nice surprises. And over time, I started getting accepted to more things. And then I had to learn how to say no. And I actually had to become more discerning. And that was like a really rough learning curve for me, especially when this sense of, you know, there's like there's a constant drought is basically like what we're told when we're young artists in Sydney. I don't know if it's still like that anymore, but that was really what we were told was like, this career is rough. Like you'll never have enough. You always have to try for more than you can like actually handle that you just have to always be putting yourself out there to suddenly be in a position of like, I am getting too much coming in now. I need to really balance this. Um, yeah, it's, it was really hard to talk to people about because it's quite like privileged to be in that position. And yeah, that was a, that, I don't know. It was just a strange like learning curve in, in my life. But interestingly, I actually come from a family of scientists and engineers and these like research brains and their whole attitude is like, well, of course you have to try all the time and maybe something will work and maybe it won't. Like it doesn't mean anything about you as a person. So like from a very formative time, I was always able to separate myself from those like successes or rejections. So yeah, I don't know. That's a bit of an all over the place answer, but yeah. (laughs) No, that was was really great. You know, the idea of, you know, not being afraid of failure, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, just being able to say, uh, that I'm just going to, you know, keep seeing what can happen. And I think it's great that you mentioned, you know, your family, you know, comes from, you know, these science backgrounds. And I mean, they would understand if anything, you know, when you try different things, right? There's certain things that won't work. Yeah. There's certain w- things that will work. And when they do work, great, you know, type of thing. And so I guess, you know, in that sense, you, it's it's kind of like with composition, you know, you're trying different things, trying to see what works, making like calculated decisions or maybe not calculated decisions in regards to, you know, how, how you want a, fr- a phrase to be shaped or what type of soundscape you want to uh, be able to create for your audience, right? Mm. 
Yeah, it's very much a process of, it's not always necessarily about trial and error. It's also sometimes about distance. So sometimes you're working on something for a really long time. And I had a really amazing professor who once said, you can't decide that something is good just because you've spent lots of time on it. Like you need to step away from your work and then come back to it. And then with fresh ears decide, is this actually worthwhile? Like, should I keep this or should I archive it and think about it for later or just get rid of it? Like you need to be constantly really discerning with your work. So yeah, it's, it's a process. <laughs> That's what I always say. It's a process of some kind all the time. I love it. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I love it too. And this is actually something that I, I really, I feel like in the last like five years, I've really internalized. Uh, mm. I, I don't know about you, but like when you feel comfortable with the process, even though, you know, our patients can break at times, you know, uh, that, that it actually makes you feel more whole, I feel. Um, and being able to understand, you know, oneself and how we approach our art and things like that. Yeah. So in regards to, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of feeling privileged in regards to, you know, being able to be in a position to say no. What? I mean, that's Crazy, amazing. I'm so happy. Not like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, to, to be in a position where, you know, uh, you're you know, being able to do uh, the things that you wish, the things that you want. And I feel like, you know, what would be interesting to learn more about is what types of advices would you give to uh, maybe young artists? It doesn't just have to be just composers, but like, you know, across the uh, disciplines within the within the field. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think, um, I mean, it's similar to that, like research approach. It's kind of, if you can take yourself out of, the equation for a second and just see what makes sense a bit more conceptually um, like to what you want out of music. It's it's really hard to do because at the same time you're thinking about what you want and what makes sense to you and you're trying to remove yourself. I only say that because often when we're in one field, specifically music, I think the same could be said of sport or like dance or any other field that's very niche and you kind of just get, get a bit tunnel visioned over time. It's really hard to have a sense of autonomy within that. And so to be able to step back in any way you can, even whether it's looking across different art forms to like what maybe inspires you in dance, for example, um, or to find sympathetic artists in other fields and to reflect on maybe their own trajectories or just some part of them that you find inspiring. Um, yeah, I think that process is really important because we can get really stuck in our head and we can get really isolated. And even if we're in a room full of people and we agree and we're all working together, it can still be isolating in some way. So to be able to be really present and experience those moments and also to be able to reflect on like how it sits with you as an individual over time, I think that's really important. And that also, that also makes us more present. It means that we end up doing work that we enjoy, which makes us better at what we do and also more enjoyable to work with everyone around us. <laughs> no, I, I agree. You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes, you know, when we have those stereotypes of like the angsty, moody artist, right, type of thing. And, you, you know, you want to take joy, you know, in the collaborations that you have with people. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's something that's really important. And, you know, I've noticed, you know, I, I don't know about you, but have you found that today that is really actually a priority of a majority of professional settings is, you know, being able to collaborate with someone in not only 
um, a professional way, but in a way that's actually um, meaningful for the other collaborators. Mm. I think that's really important. It's what we spend our lives doing. It's got to make sense. (laughs) It's kind of crazy otherwise. (laughs) No, for sure. Now, uh, a couple of things. I know you also as a friend and a lot of the things that you know, the reason why I wanted to bring you here was because I know there's a lot of things that, you know, through your professional experiences uh, and, you know, your dreams, your your goals, I think could be really useful for our, for the audience to hear uh, in regards to, you know, like being able to not feel discouraged, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of people, I don't know about you, but I've been to school with people who completely changed careers. Mm. And it's like, and they're sad to see. And some of them who happen to be very good musicians, what advice would you give to someone just, you know, starting out, especially trying to get their footing into the door? I think it's kind of similar to what I was saying earlier in terms of always having this reflection of knowing yourself as a person, as well as knowing your field. Because often, I mean, Composers are a little different in this regard because we're always in like the basement of the academies. No one really thinks about us. But in general, in academies, I think often you get put into this setting of like, if you're a singer, you have to want to be an opera singer. And if you're an instrumentalist, you have to want to be in an orchestra. And, and this is a generalization, but it there's a reason it's a generalization because I've met a lot of musicians who are in this place of being excellent at what they do, but actually not wanting to be in one of those niches of like, Maybe they're an excellent percussionist, but they don't want to be playing like Bruckner their whole life. (laughs) Famous, famous percussion composer he is. Um, (laughs) So yeah, just reflecting on what you want and actually also discovering the diversity of music because, you know, as musicians, we often complain that it's not a very diverse field in terms of the people who are in the field who are playing the music, who are organizing the concerts, who are like deciding where the venues will be, who are thinking of the programming. Like we often think that it's this really closed-minded field. I hate to, I don't want to speak badly about the music industry because I love it, but of course I'm critical of it because I love it. So I think to be constantly really involved in actually discovering Like maybe some people say they don't like newly written music, but actually there's probably a huge amount of repertoire that they would really love. And to really explore as much of the industry as they can, even if something maybe doesn't seem really exciting at the beginning, to just dive into it and see like why they find it exciting or why they don't find it exciting at the beginning, whether that changes to keep note of everything as well. Um, I mean, this is something we have to do constantly as composers because there's no set direction. There's no like orchestra we can go and work for because we don't live in the 18th century anymore. Like that's not, that's not our reality. And we have to really, (laughs) we have to really be reflecting all the time on improving ourselves as composers and reflecting on like how we feel about the work we're making. There's also this sense of Like you're a successful composer if you're constantly writing music that's being performed by excellent ensembles at excellent festivals. And that's really important. But there's also, there's a whole tapestry of career out there that you can go and dive into. So I think like if someone ever feels discouraged about music in general, to really reflect on where that discouragement is coming from, whether that maybe is about being a performer. And if so, is that actually just about being a soloist or is that about performing in general? And then eventually, like, do they not want to be in music at all? Do they want to get into artist management, into orchestral production? Like, there's a lot to this industry, like really a lot. (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't think any like change of direction is ever a kind of failure, but I think that that, yeah, that constant reflection between self and trajectory is very important. No, and I think this is really great. My favorite bit was about the 18th century. (laughs) You know, I mean, because I mean, our, you know, the career, the industry is always evolving. And, you know, and that's actually really encouraging to hear, you know, because I mean, it's 2023. I mean, with all the technology that we have today, with all of the, you know, different forms of social media, you know, if you find your niche, right, if you find something that makes you happy that you feel like you're communicating your authentic self I mean that that says mountains you know Mm -hmm. the reason why I bring that up and why I wanted to ask you about that is because a lot of the time people feel that okay I have degrees I have training I'm awesome you know I have done xyz a job will come right or work will come to me. Whereas in actuality, it's, you know, kind of like goes back to that saying, you know, good things come to those who wait. I don't know if that really applies to the industry, just because if you spend your whole life waiting, nothing will really come. I mean, you could tell me I'm completely crazy. No, I think you have a point. I also, I think there's a difference between active and passive waiting. Like if you're passively waiting and you've got your feet up and you're hoping that like some angel will come down from the skies and offer you this platter of like a million euros a year job in your first year out of university, that's not going to happen. Maybe to like one in a billion people that will happen, but that's very unlikely. But, you know, active waiting, like having a sense of patience, again, knowing yourself as a person, knowing like where you want to go in the industry, that kind of passion is something that is that thing like that's I think that factor that gets someone into an audition or not is that sense of drive and focus that comes from knowing themselves as a person and an artist and comes from that practice and dedication and preparation and development of like how you want to also influence the industry Um, because yeah it is an industry that's comprised of the people who are constantly performing in it otherwise we just wouldn't have live music yeah yeah yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love the idea that you came up with, you know, this idea of active and passive. And a lot of the time, it's it's something that I, I feel like actually now that you bring it up, I'll, I'm going to probably think about it more later. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of the fact that, you know, we, we, tr- we work so hard. I mean, we train decades, you know, in this. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like the learning doesn't stop. I mean, we we keep on going, you know. Mm. Now, I want to take a step back um, a little bit uh, in regards to what we had talked about earlier in regards to, you know, the life of a composer, you know, um, for you being able to have opportunities uh, in regards to orchestration and things like that. Now, when it comes to, you know, the idea of value, right? Uh, I know a lot of the time, at least with younger people, we're still young, right? We are, we are. But there are people that are younger than us, and I have to acknowledge that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) At least we can can laugh about it. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, uh, in regards to saying, okay, well, I'm young, and I have this opportunity. They're giving me a little bit of money, um, even though I could do the job perfectly, what have you. How were you able to 
show the value in the work that you demonstrate. I mean, besides the fact that your music's really awesome, and I'm not saying that, you know, just as a friend, but I, I really do genuinely believe that. Thank you. Um, in regards to, you know, uh, encouraging people, uh, you know, if they choose this path. Oh, my God, that's a huge question. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> I think for composers, building up a, like building your own repertoire, building your catalog is really important because, of course, every composer in the world has those pieces that are effectively etudes. I mean, as as performers, you don't necessarily perform every single piece you've ever played ever. Maybe some people do, but I think in general, most of the work that you play isn't actually specifically for performance. It's part of your practice and it's part of your development. So I think that going through that process of development as a composer, like as an internal composer, and then getting pieces like a kind of separate catalog <laughs> prepared for the world of these these pieces that are still, you know, it's the same trajectory. It's the same continuation of you as an artist. It's the same authenticity. But, you know, those pieces are more skilled and they're maybe more streamlined and they're more relevant to certain industry members. And, yeah, just developing kind of a gateway into your field because, I don't know, there's a lot of music out there. So to be able to show why your music is maybe relevant to an ensemble or an individual or a company, like, who wants to support you or something, that's... um. That's really important. And if you do it in the right way, and it really is like this extension of self and you're very clear as to like how you're building that portfolio and that catalog, then that's that's cool. And I think that people can see that. And also just being nice to work with. Like there's no room for people who suck, you know, like this this thing about like the Toscaninis of the world being somehow better than us. This isn't real. Like we're seeing this in politics. We're seeing this in art. We're seeing this in sport as well. These people that just like are awful they're not being valued anymore. And that is a good thing. So like keeping, like just being really good at what you do and being enjoyable to work with. This is, this is a nice combination that I think, I mean, it's already happening a lot in the world, but you know, it's good to, it's good to do more of as well. <laughs> well and it's good to talk about it too, you know, because, you know, a lot of the time, you know, in universities or even conservatories, they, the whole idea is, okay, we're going to make you the best musician, best artist, best actor, theater, you know, what have you. But sometimes w what I feel could be emphasized more is exactly with what you mentioned, how to act as a professional, you know, in a professional setting, you know, being able to emphasize the, the importance of communication, you know, uh, being able to connect with people in a way that's not like the Toscanini, uh, that's not like, you know, those, you know, types of dictator-like uh, attitudes, but the fact that we're evolving. And I, you know, you know, in the sense of like, we can still make great art, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. Yeah, I think the art is like better when you don't need to be a jerk about it, because it's really... I mean, I think it would be the last resort, even in politics, things don't start off in a, well, actually, no, that's a generalization. That's things can definitely start off in a bad place in politics, but it's just so unnecessary, you know, like there's so many examples of countries and like orchestras and companies and all these things that are really functional without the need for aggression. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's just an important thing to reflect on because we don't often talk about rehearsal technique. Like we don't often talk about how to interact with people and especially for composers, there's so much focus on building a great score that when it comes down to it, like maybe there's a musician who might be aggressive towards you because maybe they've never actually played this certain kind of repertoire before. And all those years of training that we were talking about just now 
suddenly don't apply to this one specific moment in a piece. And to be able to have really good communication skills and to work through that with them so that that moment that they haven't necessarily done yet can connect to those years of experience. And that actually brings out the best in both of you. That's really important as well because... I mean, also for composers, we start out not knowing much. We start out needing to learn a lot about how instruments work. But there does come a time when sometimes, not all the time, not even most of the time, but sometimes we know more about the instrument than actually the instrumentalist playing. And that's not an enjoyable situation for an instrumentalist. And you have to really like be diplomatic when you're talking. And also know that not every instrumentalist is the same. And maybe some of these settings are for like one instrumentalist who spent years developing a certain technique that's very rare. Maybe you just need to, I don't know, be able to communicate an idea really effectively. So to be, yeah, to be able to develop that clear, streamlined, enjoyable communication, it's just, that's important. That's important for everyone. For sure. And I think this is something, um, you know, not just within music, but actually across like disciplines. Yeah. Um, is very important to uh, emphasize uh, because of the fact that, you know, uh, that's actually part of the reason why I had created the Modern Artist Project is being able to, you know, uh, find ways, you know, to to help, you know, different communities uh, in regards to, you know, the simple skills of just, you know, how would you interact with someone? How would you, you know, be able to uh, encourage them to become better without mm. being, you know, patronizing or, you know, being able to inspire something like good, you know, like, and I, and I feel like with, you know, all the different things that you mentioned, you know, the idea of sports, the idea of politics, you know, I mean, I mean, when we think about those connections to music or even to art, I mean, it is profound. I mean, even if you look mm. at the history uh, that we've had. Yeah, no, that's really true. And also like all of those other fields, like all of like politics, sports, performing arts, everything, they all come down to this weird commonality of being just comprised of people. Like they're by people, for people, and you have to have this balance of belief systems and expertise and everything all balanced out in the room. And I mean, even for sports players, you know, the best players in the world, they've got a whole team behind them that we don't talk about enough. The best musicians in the world, they've also got that team behind them. They've had all those years of training. They've had all the resources and all of the support. And yeah, that sense of community and just like having a nice kind of system in your world, that's that's important. Yeah. No, for sure. And I imagine as a composer to get people to play music, right, or even anyone who creates something, you know, uh, that you would need also friends, you know? like Yeah, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> I remember when I was a younger person, I'm going to shape it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still young. Uh, a younger person where, um, you know, I remember having a lot of friends who were composers who would ask me to play stuff for them, you know, not even just like, you know, like concerts or play their music, but actually like experiment, say, hey, Christine, can you play this? Can the clarinet do that? You know, type of thing. And I, I always found that those interactions were really, were really nice, um, you know, and people yeah. want to just see if it's possible. No, those are really important. And I think like for my early years as a composer, I I really have my friends to thank for everything I was able to learn and do because, yeah, I mean, without them, I just would have been continuing with my little scribbles <laughs> in a room somewhere. So 
like the patients that they had. And also, I think some of them at least had a really good time just like seeing their instrument in a new light with this person that's like, what happens if you do that? So yeah, to start off from that perspective and then like really specialize over the years and study very intensely with many different teachers about like the the very precise mechanics of different instruments. And you end up specializing more in some instrumental types than others, just because that's sort of where your interests take you and you feel more comfortable working with them. Um, that changes over time. But yeah, the people, people are very important. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is great. And, you know, for example, uh, going back to, you know, this idea of a portfolio, mm. you know, the idea of saying, okay, well, I have all of my friends over for pizza after this recording session, you know, trying to find like little ways of, you know, trying to entice, you know, I mean, I mean, they are friends, right? Entice people, you know, draw them in, you know, like type <laughs> of thing and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, this will happen if you do this, right? Type of thing, you know, uh, and the beauty of being able to put those things together. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Now, I know we've been talking about a lot of really really great things, interesting things too, uh, in regards to, you know, collaboration, you know, interpersonal skills, you know, what it means to be a professional entrepreneurship. But I want to also see, because uh, I know you're a conductor. We're, in fact, we're in that same program together. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> in, in Lugano, Switzerland. So what led you to this path uh, in regards to also adding conducting to your already full plate of things? Yeah, conducting was a bit of a weird one. <laughs> it took me so long to find composition and then I wanted to branch out into an equally solitary field, which is conducting. People always imagine conductors being surrounded by people all the time, but most of the time is spent preparing also alone, just very similar to composition. No, I really, I actually found a lot of joy in the rehearsal process when I was working on my pieces with friends and bringing the best out of music and getting really nerdy about it and deciding like exactly what kind of dynamics to work on, working on the exact like attack, like envelopes of each little moment within a phrase, getting really into the music. And I realized over time that actually I think that conductors and composers have a very similar way of approaching music, but they're kind of from opposite directions. A conductor takes a finished thing and needs to like recreate it in its most authentic form. A composer has that idea in their mind. Maybe it changes as they discover things, but then they need to get it into the most concrete form. So it's kind of the training that I'd done in composition, especially orchestration, was very compatible with conducting. Um, <laughs> the theory needs a lot of work, <laughs> as it always does. That's what I spend a lot of my time <laughs> improving. Um, but all the other work, you know, the orchestration, the ear training, all of that, that's that's really compatible um, and the training, like rehearsals, getting the best out of people, what to do if you have this, these difficult encounters, which thankfully I've had almost none, very, very, very few. Um, and yeah, just getting the best out of everyone in the room so that you all just have a really great time. Um, and also I will follow up briefly. I went to ballet school for a long time. So I started piano and ballet when I was five and had this very like <laughs> ballet-ish upbringing. I, it was very fun. And yeah, I spent 12 years in ballet school. And one of the things that I always focused on in dance was this movement between orchestration and like going back to the piano and connecting like phrasing and movements with dancers. And yeah, I have this kind of very visual way of approaching orchestration that ends up 
overlapping with conducting. And I think that's come from those years of ballet training and all that like body awareness and stuff that you get from ballet. I've had to detrain some of it because otherwise it's just very like decorative, like great for Brahms, but you know, <laughs> that's not for, for everything. For, for Stockhausen yeah. uh, and Mario. <laughs> no, no, we don't want that. We need precision and like clarity. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. No, I mean, but this is, I mean, but this is all really great, you know, and yes, I, you know, I, you know, when you mentioned, you know, about the conducting part, you know, it, it is very solitary, you know, because a lot of the time, you know, we're by ourselves. We're looking at a score. We're, you know, reading a language, you know, you know, in regards to the intention of the person, you know, being able to also be able to, you know, have the details come out, you know, mm. making the most of the phrasing, you know, of sometimes music that has existed for hundreds of years, you know? Yeah. So, no, this is this is really great. I mean, uh, and I, I love the fact that, you know, you you have, you know, done all of these things and have seen the connections, not only to what you currently do, but how that connects to your past and how, you know, that sh that has shaped who you are. I think that's really great. And I think, you know, we're going to leave on that note. Uh, Kirsten, I want to thank you for joining us today and for sharing your experience and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you continue to do for our community. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really nice to chat. <laughs> thank you for supporting this show by listening and sharing with your friends. If you liked this podcast, please rate and write a review of how this show has helped you. This will help us be able to increase our visibility nationally and in being able to make an impact on the profession. If you would like to hear more about any specific topics, please email us at info at themodernartistproject.com. I would love to help support your community in all artistic disciplines. Thank you.